this is Kara Foster from First Christian Church, Disciples of Christ in Madisonville, Kentucky, and you're listening to our sermons podcast. And if you want to find out more information, you can connect with us at www.madisonvilledisciples.org or come in person at 1030 College Drive, uh, Madisonville, Kentucky. Subscribe and enjoy these podcasts. Today we have the story of Jesus performing his very first sign in the Gospel of John where he saves the day at the wedding of Cana. Now John in his Gospel always calls these miracles that Jesus performs signs. That's the word he uses to describe them because for him each act is, each spectacular act is pointing towards something about Jesus. And I must tell you that uh, over the years, I've been really perplexed by this miracle sign story. It just seems so confusing, like everything about it was one big hidden metaphor that I was missing out on. For example, uh, the scripture even says that Jesus performs this sign on the third day of the wedding. Well, we know what happens on the third day of Easter And so it just seemed like it was some hidden message. And also, let's just face it, first century Jewish weddings are way out of our cultural norms today. They were week-long celebrations back then. And this sign, this wet water into wine moment always just seemed to not make sense. I mean, the other miracle moments Jesus heals someone who is hurting. He feeds hungry crowds and feeds them. He he takes an outcast leper and he heals them so that he can be a part of the community and belong again. These sorts of miracles made sense to me, but this one, turning water into wine, just makes Jesus everybody's favorite party guest. But I had to know there's something more to this story. And I hope that by the time this message is over that you will have a deeper understanding of why Jesus did this. The gospel even says that after Jesus performed this water into wine moment that it, his, it revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. This moment was huge. So read along with me if you've got your Bibles handy. We're going to be in John chapter 2 beginning in verse 1. John chapter 2 beginning in verse 1. On the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee and the mother of Jesus was there. Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. And when the wine gave out, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. And Jesus said to her, Woman, what concern is that to you and to me? My hour has not yet come. And his mother said to the servants, Do whatever he tells you. Now standing, there were six stone water jars for the Jewish rites of purification, each holding 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to them, Fill the jars with water. And they filled them up to the brim. He said to them, Now draw some out and take it to the chief steward. So they took it, and when the steward tasted the water that they had become wine, 
He did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. The steward called the bridegroom and said to him, Everyone serves the good wine first, and then the inferior wine after the guests have become drunk. But you have kept the good wine until now. Jesus did this, the first of his signs in Cana of Galilee, and revealed his glory, and his disciples believed in him. Now, every wedding has their drama, right? Something always goes just a little bit wrong. Maybe the wedding cake falls on its way to the reception. Uh, the, I've seen a bride catch her veil on a pew. I once had to stop a wedding ceremony um, in the middle of the ceremony because I suddenly looked up and realized this very tall groom was swaying back and forth and his eyes were sort of glazed over and I thought he is about to pass out so we stopped so he could just have a moment to breathe. In my own wedding I got married on a beach in Mexico in July which was great timing, let me tell you, with the hot sun in July in Mexico. And my brother, who is a fairly fluent Spanish speaker, found a mariachi band the day of the wedding to come play. We were just going down to the public beach and getting married, and this mariachi band, he had asked them to play among the songs they played, to play this one particular song that was special to my own grandparents. It's a song called Besame Mucho, if you know it. And um, so they had told the mariachi to play that song, but the idea was that they would play lots and lots of songs. But somehow in the translation, the mariachi band thought that was the only song we wanted to hear. And so it was Besame Mucho and Besame Mucho again and again. I actually walked down the aisle, so to speak, on about the third or fourth Besame Mucho around. And I don't know what those mariachi guys were thinking about what we wanted, but that's what they played. My dad found some pinatas that he had made in the shape of hearts, and we bashed them at the party afterwards. It makes no sense to me now. It's not a good metaphor to bang hearts off for your wedding celebration, but that's what we did. Hey, it's the thing. It's what makes weddings fun and memorable, all those things you really didn't plan or expect to happen along the way. And, you know, that's what makes weddings what they are. But weddings in the first century in Palestine were different. Frankly, there was not a lot of love in the equation. It was an important ceremonial transaction. Two families were emerging, and everybody had their societal and cultural role to play. And it would be the groom's family who would be in charge of providing this seven-day celebration for the wedding. They were to give a big show of respect and to honor their hosts and to show that they could provide. This was an important moment. They would be saving for this event their son's whole life. <coughs> and so when the wedding, when the water runs out, uh, when the wine runs out on the third day of the celebration, this isn't just embarrassing, it's shameful. And Jesus' mother is there, and she tells Jesus the news, the wine is gone, you should do something to help. 
And Jesus isn't particularly in interested here, which I really love because in this little exchange, we really see the humanness of Jesus. He doesn't want to do it. My time has not yet come, but his mother persists. If you notice in John, John doesn't call his mother Mary as the other gospels do. She has no name. She's just Jesus's mother here. And we see her here at the very beginning of his ministry, and we won't see her again until the end when Jesus is dying at the cross. Jesus' mother persists and asks him to help, and so he does. He takes these huge 20 to 30 gallon water vessels that were filled ready for purification rites, and he turns them in to new wine. And not just any wine. Not, this is the good stuff. This is the really good stuff. In fact, the steward is shocked like there's been some sort of mistake. Why have you saved this good stuff for now? Now everyone knows you start with the good stuff and sort of end with the Boone's Farm wine along the way. But no, it's the good stuff. He turns this family's disgrace into a moment of grace. Let me just say that again. Jesus turns this family's shameful moment into a moment of grace. I read something about the Gospel of John that really became an aha moment for me about how John has written his Gospel because if you notice, the very first 18 verses of the Gospel of John is called the prologue. It's, a, it's the famous part. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And in that 18 verses, John is using metaphor and theology to frame this whole story about Jesus that he's going to spend the rest of his gospel telling us about. But in the first 18 verses, it's all about this theology of who Jesus is. And if you have your Bible handy, you can even look in John chapter 1, towards the end of those 18 verses, John mentions the word grace four times. He says grace over and over again, but then he doesn't mention it again for the rest of the gospel. The word grace never appears again. Just in these first verses at the very beginning, it's as if John is trying to tell us that Jesus is grace. Jesus is grace in the world, and he will show us with his very life with his very breath, with everything that he does, that he is the living embodiment of God's grace in the world. It says, the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory, and the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. And then in 16, he says, from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. The law indeed was given through Moses, Grace and truth through Jesus Christ. Jesus takes this moment of shame at a wedding and turns it into a moment of grace upon grace. Not only are their cups overflowing, but they have the very best, better than they could have ever imagined, is offered to them. From his fullness, we have received grace upon grace. 
And I mention all this to you today because maybe you know what it is to feel shame, to be ashamed. Shame is different than being embarrassed or humiliated. It's worse, isn't it? We might not exactly understand the cultural pressure the groom's family felt when the wine ran out. To not be prepared or not to be seen as good hosts for your guests, this is more than any of us can probably relate to today. You know, if you're at a wedding and grandma gets a little wild on the chicken dance, everybody laughs, but it's not a moment of shame utter shame. This is what this family felt. They were so ashamed. And shame is, it's different. It's not, it's not saying I made a mistake. The voice of shame says I am the mistake. Social worker Brene Brown has written so much about this and she has this beautiful quote and she says, if you put shame in a petri dish, it needs three ingredients to grow. Secrecy, silence, and judgment. She says if you put the same shame in the petri dish and douse it with empathy, it can't survive. Jesus turned their empty water vessels into new wine. He took their moment of shame and changed the story. People didn't come to believe in Jesus because he was everyone's favorite party guest. They came to believe in him because he rewrote the story. He took their moment of shame and changed it into a moment where God's glory is revealed. Marcus Borg says it's in scripture, the principal suffering of the poor and throughout history is shame and disgrace. According to him, that's, that's what's so bad about being poor is that you are living in shame and disgrace. And here comes Jesus. Here comes Jesus where he will say, blessed are the poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are the persecuted, for yours is the kingdom. Blessed are you who hungry and who grieve Jesus notices the nobodies, and he welcomes the outcasts, and he talks to a woman who was sick and hurting and calls her a daughter of Abraham, a name of value and worth and belonging. He takes those old water vessels and fills them with new wine. This is Jesus. He is grace upon grace. That's who he is. He is the living example of God's grace in the world. And from the very beginning of his ministry, he will show us who he is. He is not going to be a savior who is out to level the score. He's not going to be a savior who is returning to everyone exactly what they deserve. He is the savior who sets us free. He takes our old empty water vessels and fills them till our cup runneth over. So, just in case you don't know this, just in case it's been a really long time since someone told you, I hope you know 
that Jesus takes you, your life, the voices in your head that tell you you aren't worth much, that you are a disgrace, never measure up, all that shame, all that regret, all that disgrace in your life that you carry. And what he does instead is says, come here, find a seat at the table, pull up a chair and sit down. And he offers the cup of salvation for you. And he offers you the bread of his sacrifice to come and eat and find your place with him. And he would pour every drop of himself out for us. When he dies on the cross, there will be nothing held back. He is the living embodiment of God's grace in our world. But the wedding guests and Cana that day, they couldn't know that. How could they? But my guess is as they raised their glass that night and toasted to a new day, that they wondered if Jesus could take old water vessels and fill them with new wine, maybe he could use their life too. He is grace upon grace. Thanks be to God. Amen. Amen.